0: Um, there's no fire alarms planned, so if the alarm does go off, please meet on the grass at the front of the building. Um, can please everybody ensure that they have their mobile phones turned off now, please? No mobile phones. Okay. Um, I'd like to remind everybody that we're being broadcast, so it's a recorded session. Um, the timings for the speakers will be three minutes, and basically that will follow on from the SSE presentation. I thought I it. We'll make a noise then. Please excuse the Vice-Chair. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was off, but
1: I just turned it on by
0: mistake. <clears throat> You'll get used to this, really. Isn't it? Sorry. Um, there's uh, apologies from three councillors that haven't been able to attend this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Only you. Uh, that haven't been able to attend this evening, councillors Lemon, uh, Councillors um, Hicks. Hicks and Councillor Wells, uh, but they will be listening to the recording later on. Uh, so, with that, I think we can proceed. Um, if anybody has a written report of what they are presenting, then please hand them over to Mr. Gordon Glenday at the end. Uh, and with that, I'll hand over to uh, Brian Ross for the presentation. Brian.
2: Thank you Chairman and thank you uh, Committee for this opportunity. My name is Brian Ross and uh, I'm not a member of the Stansted Airport family. I am am Deputy Chairman of SSE and I'm going to be assisted this evening with the presentation assisted by Jeff Gardner on the left who is the director of Gardner Planning. Many of you will know he was former Head of Planning at Essex County Council and Bruce Bamber who is a Transport Consultant and he's a Director of Railton TPC. I'll be handing over to them at different stages in the presentation. We've got a lot to go through so I'm going to zip through the slides very quickly but we will be sending you a full set of the slides overnight. Just by way of introduction, SSE's made four submissions, 250 pages of evidence We have also read the officer's report in detail and it is not clear to us actually that the the veracity of the points that SSE has made has been given full and proper consideration or tested or evaluated where there have been conflicts of evidence. Having said that we recognise the pressure on officer's time and this was a 4,000 page planning application they were presented with. Um, In summary, I think you are all familiar The planning application wants to raise the passenger cap from 35 to 43 million passengers a year. It wants a new rapid exit taxiway, a new rapid access taxiway and nine new stands. And yesterday the applicant referred to the comparison should be just with the the 35 million permission. Well, that's half of the comparison. The the, the Town and Country Planning Act is quite clear. The comparison also needs to be made with the baseline. That is the situation as we know it today. Just briefly going through it, compared to the current permission, there's 274,000 aircraft movements presently permitted. Now, mag say they're not going to exceed that, but importantly they can't reach that with the present 35 million cap. They can only get to just under 249,000. That's their own figure. So it would mean if approved 10% additional aircraft movements and there's no dispute about the passengers, it's 35 to 43. It's 23% extra. So it's 69 extra flights a day and a higher proportion of large, wide body jets as long haul increases. And it's a, an extra 11,000 passengers a day arriving by car. That's compared to the present permission. Compared to the situation as we know it, well, last year, it's 44% extra aircraft movements from 189,000 to 274 and it is 66% extra passengers and roughly that equates to road traffic, It's an average of 230 extra flights a day, again larger wide bodied aircraft and I checked that figure this morning, it goes from just over 7,000 wide bodied last year to 14,000 <coughs> under the, if the permission was granted. It is an extra 23,000 passengers per day. Arriving by car. Forecasts. um, There's been a bit of an argument about whether about the 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 forecast. Mag says that it will reach 23, sorry, 35 million passengers in 2023. The Department for Transport argues that it won't reach that figure until 2033 and even later if Heathrow is built. In order to justify this higher level of apparent demand for Stansted, Mag makes certain assumptions, essentially that other airports won't be able to grow or have negligible growth. The fact is, Heathrow's third runway is due to open in 2026, MAG assumes that it won't open until 2030. In fact, Heathrow's third runway is Heathrow is due to grow by 50 million passengers in the next 10 years. And MAG virtually disregards that, virtually disregards that, assumes there's only tiny marginal growth. And it's not just Heathrow. Gatwick expects to grow to 53 million passengers within the next five years and to 61 million in 15 years. (coughs) That's 15 million more at present and that's without Gatwick using its standby runway. It could go to 70 million. MAG assumes there's negligible scope for growth at Gatwick. Luton, again MAG assumes there's negligible scope for growth at Luton. Luton has published its expansion plans to double in size from 16 million last year to 36 million roughly by 2040, longer term. MAG assumes it's capped at 18 million and so if you assume that all of your competitors have got no scope for growth it's not difficult to come up with a forecast for your airport which is wildly higher than the Department for Transport comes up with. And MAG cites local knowledge and officers cite local knowledge. They've got the local knowledge. They know where they can get the customers from. But they dismiss Heathrow's local knowledge. Heathrow says we'll have it open in 2026. The Secretary of State says it'll be open in 2026. MAG disregards that. They know better. It won't open until 2030. And incidentally, the expansion proposals for Heathrow and for Gatwick and for Luton are all going to be dealt with under the NSIP process, the Nationally Significant Infrastructure process. This one, they are trying to sneak under the radar. (coughs) I just want to give you a quick glimpse of economic impacts because we heard a lot about that yesterday. Again, let's just look at some numbers instead of broad concepts or aspirations. These are mags numbers in this table. The baseline figure that's 2016, Stansted was responsible for a trade deficit of 1.75 billion because basically Stansted is a leisure airport and its principal purpose through Ryanair is to transport millions of British people to spend their money in other countries. So, fine, people can enjoy holidays, but the fact is that a 1.75 billion trade deficit last year increases under this proposal to 4.7 billion. These are MAG's numbers. MAG's failed to provide any evidence. They have said it openly that that they haven't provided any quantified evidence of user benefits. It is all just touchy-feely stuff. There is no Brexit sensitivity analysis which says what happens if UK GDP growth or overseas GDP growth declines. We don't know and there is no analysis that says what happens if the EU aviation market is less liberal than it is today post Brexit. We are left just to guess. Yes there would be around 1,300 extra jobs at the airport if it is approved but that would have a minimal effect upon local unemployment because there is virtually no local unemployment and that is largely because well there are plenty of local jobs and airport jobs are not particularly highly skilled and they are not particularly well paid which is part of the reason why 15 years ago there were more Attlesford residents worked at the airport than worked there last year. There's fewer Attlesford residents working there than there were before when it was smaller. It is difficult to buy a house or even rent a house in Attlesford on airport related wages and in fact of all the employees at the airport about one in six is an Nuttlesford resident and that includes temporary residents in rented accommodation. Final point on this slide, when people speak about jobs if you have jobs at Stansted is that at the expense of jobs elsewhere? Now, I'm not trying to play past the parcel and say this expansion should take place at Luton but the figures at the bottom actually do show they put the total claimant count in Attlesford last December 255, 0.5% There's other places much more in need of these jobs and Stansted isn't the only airport in the east of England. I am now going to hand over to Geoff Gardner who is going to cover the planning context.
3: Okay, everybody hear me? Nobody said no. Um, I'm going to deal with the planning policy arguments and the the basic planning framework. And I start with the... So I'm mapping out there on this slide, no need to dwell on it, what I think I'm going to say. These are the points I'm going to address, rather. The fourth point there, the balance of harms versus uh, the benefits, You're, you're well used to this planning test. Brian deals with in a slide immediately after me. So you all know that you've got an adopted local plan, a bit long in the tooth, 2005, but it is still the development plan. The importance of this slide is that when the airport expansion was last for consideration by this authority in 2006, uh, these were the policies that the officers identified you'll remember that this authority refused permission, it went to appeal, etc. But those are the policies that were identified that the development of the airport would run counter to. If the local plan is still current, these are still the policies which are relevant. Nothing has changed as far as the council is concerned. Clearly I'm not going to read those out. Most of you will be familiar with them. The emerging local plan is more important, much more important, for two reasons. First of all, the report says, when I say the report, I mean the officer's report, the report says that uh, it's to be given little weight. Now, I've been in this chamber many times talking about this. The adopted local plan is too old, we can't pay any attention to that. The new one has got little weight. You wonder, well, what's all this effort going into these plans if they're of no effect? I accept that until they're adopted, they don't become the development plan except that. But let's see the reality of what, how much weight you, you give to this local plan on which you, your members and your officers have done an awful lot of work. And in calling it little weight, I think you've got to look at the NPPF to gauge how that's judged. And it's judged in this way, that the further you get along the line with a local plan preparation, the greater weight you give to it. It's been through drafts, it's been through consultation people have had their say. Of course there is an examination yet to come. Of course the adopted plan may be different. But at the moment, it is your expression, you the council's expression of policy. You've all agreed to it, and that's what it is. That's the status, it, that's the real status it has. And if I can just focus on policy SP 11, which is the one that governs the growth of the airport, You will know because there was a hot debate about this in May, June of this year that it was recommended that from the draft of the last year this phrase about should be in accordance with the approved plan the approved developments was recommended to be taken out by officers. My understanding is I wasn't there but the planning policy working group said no we want to to keep that, thank you very much. There were few changes to that officer's report but that was one of them. That was then endorsed by the cabinet, June, July. It was also then finally endorsed by full council. So you, collectively, as a council, (coughs) have have adopted and recently adopted this significant caveat on that policy and that plan that it should be no more than the permitted development. The permitted development, you'll be well aware, has got a cap of £35 So what the local plan emerging is saying, there should still be a cap on development of the airport. And you've adopted that quite recently. Now, that may or may not change. But that is a significant point to now say to you, as as it will be, a development control committee, don't worry about that. That's what you said in May, June, July. Don't worry about that. This is a planning application. Disregard all of that. That seems to me to be a critical gap in the reasoning for uh, recommending approval to this thing. It it goes against everything you were saying in the summer, is my is in summary. Um, The arrivals building has been mentioned. Um, uh, You'll be aware of that too. Now, the arrivals building didn't make any attempt to exceed that cap. It was merely saying we need more space to deal with passengers. If you look at the reports and you look at the, uh, the, what was said at the time — and this is last year — no suggestion that it was being done to increase the numbers. Um, that was, it was merely to deal with the existing situation. So what I'm saying is, really, having you, having you, the council, having adopted this policy this summer, got to go through the examination and so on. But when we come to, as there will be, a session one day on Stansted Airport to debate that policy, that's the place where the strength of that policy should be debated and then decided, and you have an an opportunity to to build on, on the views that you've put forward. That's the way to do it, because that plan doesn't only deal with Stansted, you all know this, it deals with large developments all around your district, all of which collectively need to be looked at collectively. So to go along to that examination next summer, whenever it may be, and say, well, forget Stansted, we've taken a decision on that, it's a non-event now, it seems to me to be uh, not the right thing to do. Now, I'll move. that was probably one of the biggest points I'm going to make, which gives a little clue to say I'm not going to carry on talking for a great deal more time. The NPPF, you're all aware of this, Um, it is is the government and it's newly published, it is the government's um, means of dealing with planning applications and one of the things that it's very hot on is climate change and and carbon uh, carbon emissions and so on. Now it it says it many times and of course this this is repeated in other government policy and international policy. The the great trouble with an airport, of course, is and more more passengers mean more flights, however you calculate it, is it's diametrically opposed to that (coughs) principle. It will cause climate change. It will add to carbon emissions. The way the government, it seems to me, is dealing with this is to focus on Heathrow Runway 3 in the teeth of an awful lot of opposition, and it's not all over yet, and say, well, if there is going to be an airport, it goes at Heathrow 3, we'll somehow manage the situation. What it seems to me that the government is not saying is, we're going to have runway 3 with all the trouble that's involved in getting that up and running and through the planning process, but we don't mind every other airport in the country expanding as well. That would seem to be completely at odds with this overarching principle of of climate change and carbon emissions. Prematurity is something which I'm sure you come across a lot in this chamber, or well, it's certainly prayed in aid in this chamber, and it very often falls, falls flat. But I've put some factors on there which I think you need to be take into account. I've already mentioned your emerging local plan. I mean, that's on the cusp of the next stage, I think, to de- determine this application would be premature. But also if you look at these policy papers by government, a lot of them are their draft, they're emerging and so on. We will be getting next year, um, an airport's an aviation strategy. Now this is the overall overarching policy document of the government about aircraft growth and, and air, air transport growth um, for the whole country. It says in there that local authorities in determining things should have regard to this strategy. Well, clearly you can't have regard to something that's not yet published. It's shortly available, but not yet. And I think, therefore, in these circumstances, for all the points I've put on this slide, it is premature to determine a planning application in the teeth of emerging local policy, your plan, in the teeth of emerging government policy, which is struggling with this whole dichotomy between uh, uh, climate change, carbon emissions and, and, and aircraft, uh, airport growth. And I say, therefore, that prematurity, uh, however you define that, or just common sense tells you, this is not the time to be making a big decision on airport expansion. And I come back to the point that... Um, the proper forum for debating issues of this magnitude in this district is at the local plan inquiry hearing. So, this is a little more about the airport's um, policy statement. Um, that, and in the box there is a little quote from it, which rightly says, except it may be well because there is existing airports to demonstrate sufficient need, additional or different to the need being met by Runway 3 at Heathrow. Now, Brian's already mentioned the the need element of this, the economic need element, is at best high on aspiration and, and short on facts. It clearly hasn't factored in the Runway 3 at Heathrow, the application, because they put it back to, as he said, 2030 instead of 2026. And they haven't actually met that test, which is in the document we already have, never mind what other documents are going to say. So, MAG's forecasts are far more optimistic than the Department for Transport. The Department for Transport say that Heathrow will open in 2026. This airport says uh, 2030, sorry, sorry, the other way around. They say 2026, this airport says 2030. Um, the Cap will be reached. This is even on the airport's own figures the 35 million in they say 2023, the Department for Transport says 2033. Which I was going to say, who are you going to believe? But which which forecasts are going to be more credible? The applicants, clearly with a keen interest, clean, clear commercial interest in expanding Stansted, or the DFT, who are effectively the government. With no commercial interests, don't run an airport, and are trying to be dispassionate about the figures that are produced. That concludes. Thanks very much.
2: Right. Brian. Yeah. Thank you, Jeff. I want to move on to another aspect of government policy. In fact, this is the emerging aviation strategy where we are going to get a green paper next month for consultation and a white paper which will be formal government policy by the middle of next year. But this Beyond the Horizon document is an instalment along the way to this policy published in June and yes it does give support for airports to make best use of their existing runways the officer's report refers to that 27 times, mentions this 27 times that there's government support for making best use of the runways, which supports this application. Only once does the officer's report mention that that's qualified, that the best use policy is qualified. First of all, it says they've got to take account of any new environmental policies emerging from the aviation strategy. But we don't even know what these are because we are not even getting that green paper till next month. So it is difficult to see how a local planning authority can take account of these new environmental policies emerging from the new strategy. And only once does the officer's report mention the fact, again in the same policy document, it says it is for local planning authorities to consider each case on its merits. So you get 27 references to best use and you get one reference to these two very important qualifications. But in any event the policy is best use and this planning application isn't for best use. Best use means to the highest degree possible. Best. Nothing better. Let's just go back to the history. When the application first came in it was for 44.5 million passengers. Then it was revised down because they thought they were sailing pretty close to the wind of the 10 million. It was revised down to 43 million. If you look at the little chart, you'll see how it was revised down. All that happened was that the forecast for 2029 was removed. It was removed. It was always going to be 43 million for 2028. They just chopped off the final year. By their own admission an extra 8 million, 43 million isn't best use. Some of you will know we are in the midst of a legal high court action and as part of that the Department for Transport has had to release certain information to us. Some of it is confidential and I cannot share that with you but the bit in the little box at the top isn't confidential and what it is is the Department for Transport confirming to us that with the new Rapid Exit Taxiway and Rapid Access Taxiway Stansted would have comparable infrastructure, a comparable capacity to Gatwick. Comparable. Now I mentioned earlier Gatwick is planning to do 53 million passengers within 5 years on the same infrastructure. 61 million by 2032-2033 on the same runway with the same infrastructure and more that is without using the standby runway. So how on earth can 43 million be best use? You cannot on the one hand, an applicant cannot on the one hand seek to have his application dealt with locally to avoid the national, the NSIP process, national scrutiny, You cannot on the one hand try and do that and at the same time put in a planning application which is not for best use. You can't claim policy support for best use if that's not what you've done. And I don't think you'll be able to read the little box at the bottom. But what that is, is an extract from officers' notes of a meeting held with MAG just before they put in their planning application for $44.5 million. It's a note we obtained under the Freedom of Information Act, and it's a note of an officer's meeting on the 17th of May last year. And what it says is, applying for $44.5 million as NSIP application is $45 million. Now, The implication of that is deliberately structured an application to keep below the radar. This is not a best use application. Jeff mentioned earlier that part of the planning process, the planning judgement, is to weigh the harms against the, against the benefits. Now even before submitting this application Mike said there would be no significant adverse, before they would even done the environmental impact assessment, no significant adverse environmental effects are predicted as a consequence of the proposed development. A bold statement. The officers report concludes almost the same. The ES, the environmental statement, has demonstrated there would be negligible impacts arising from the proposals. That's our officers report. Negligible impacts. there's 4,000 pages of applications. I think I said that. And officers are under pressure. SSE had a team of 12 people working on this. Looked at it forensically. The devil is in the detail. And I'm going to show you a few, just a sample, of the details in our submission. I'm just going to give you a sample of the issues that we uncovered and the reasons we think the application can justifiably be refused. Well, first of all, the application would undoubtedly give rise to significant adverse impacts. And secondly, there's insufficient evidence of economic or employment benefits which could possibly be capable of outweighing the environmental harms. So in that balance, the application would need to be refused. And I'm going to go through seven reasons very quickly First of all noise. I'm not going to read the detailed text of this but some of you may recognize that the text is very familiar because it's almost identical to the text that was used by officers in in refusing the G1 application. In fact I think it is identical to the text written by the officers as a justification for refusing 35 million. The only difference is we've updated we have updated the policy by reference to the MPP F I think well certainly the, the ELP the emerging local plan just to cover the noise points in a bit more detail I said the devil was in the detail in its modelling Mike assumes that 57% of the aeroplanes is operating at Stansted by the end of 2027 57% of the Ryanair and EasyJet fleet would be modern 737 MAX jets or A319 NEOs 40 to 50% quieter than the present aircraft. Now that's a critical assumption because once you put that into the model then the noise impacts that come out the other end are so much lower. We've tested that assumption 57% we get no incidentally Meg first of all said it was 80%. We challenged them on that they said it was a typo no matter, some typo. But we, we have checked it, we've checked the entire fleet, we've checked the Ryanair order book, we've checked the EasyJet order book, we've checked the Boeing waiting list. It's eight years to get these aeroplanes if you order them now. Our, our analysis, our assessment is the most you'll get to is 30 to 35% of these aircraft by the end of 2027. That's a huge difference when it comes to modeling. It means that you're automatically modeling a quieter environment, on the assumption this is going to happen, and at the very best, it's uncertain. We've also got questions about how they model and I don't want to get into too much detail it gets complicated, but you model noise on an average summer's day. We, we were puzzled when we saw that Meg's assumption was an an average summer day was just 9% higher than an average day for 365 days of the year. Just 9%. The truth is that it's 12%. Now you might think, well that's not a lot of difference. It's actually a difference of 16 aircraft a day. Sorry, wrong. It's, It's a difference on average throughout the year of 25 aircraft a day. 25 aircraft a day. So if it is an extra 69 aircraft that this application causes, you have disappeared. You have managed to lose one third of them. No account taken of that in the contours. Also, if we go into the officers report, the officers report quotes wrong figures. Soal is significant, on, sorry, the, the, the onset of adverse, get it right Brian, Significant observed adverse noise effect, and uh, Noel is no observed adverse noise effect. Essentially, officers' reports puts these puts these figures at between 60, 63, is it 63 and 66, or 66 and 69? it's in the footnotes, it's 63 to 69 sorry, in the range 63 to 69 it's completely wrong, it's completely wrong, it should be 54 decibels and so they assume there's nothing significant happening it's very significant. Now you can tell if not already, noise is not my specialist subject, Martin Peachy our noise expert is out of the country, so I'm struggling, I'm struggling with some of these terms but the essence of it is that there's a substantial understatement of the noise impacts. If we go to policy SP11 it says that development of standards will only be supported where it achieves further reduction in noise or no increase in day or night noise. Well that's not the case the noise mapping shows more people adversely affected and it doesn't matter not more people are adversely affected if you use 55 decibels and I'll come to other ones in a minute and the EU Environmental Noise Directive also says also says that the priority is to avoid prevent or reduce on a prioritised basis the harmful effects including annoyance due to exposure to environmental noise this application doesn't do that Two more tables, and then we'll leave noise. <coughs> Even based on the modelling, which we do not, which we think understates the position, if you use the 54 decibel contour, daytime contour, the number of people affected, the number of household effect, households affected, is clearly higher than in the base year. And if we use Mag's preferred comparison, which is to the 35 million case and mag's preference to use a 57 decibel which is inappropriate these days, even on that basis you can see 2800 people adversely within that contour compared to 1750 if the application was refused. So there are significant noise effects the detail of this is in our report I'm just giving you a glimpse of some of the key findings Moving on to air quality, again reason for refusal number 2 and again the wording is familiar because it is almost identical to the wording used in the case of the refusal of the 35 million application and a big issue arises in relation to the damage to vegetation in Hatfield Forest and in East End or Elsinham Woods, both sites of special scientific interest. And again the same point applies if you assume that 57% of the fleet are going to go new, modern, cleaner, quieter aeroplanes, it is not just the noise impact that is affected it is also the emissions impact, the air quality impact, the pollution impact is understated because you have made optimistic assumptions. The office report actually acknowledges even with these understated assumptions and the the understatement of the actual impact the officers report acknowledges that Elsinore Wood site of special scientific interest is already subject to nitrogen deposition that significantly exceeds the critical load for its SSI woodland habitat feature and what do they say? they are going to mitigate it by monitoring by monitoring I don't know how that mitigates the issue if it's already over its critical load factor, what's the point? That's not mitigation, that's ducking the issue. of road traffic impacts, we'll come to that later, when Bruce covers it, and in essence what he'll be demonstrating, I think, is that the road traffic impacts are understated in the same way that air quality and noise impacts have been understated quickly moving on to health and well-being and again it's the same point you assume cleaner aeroplanes and you get less impact. The wording there is again pretty similar to the wording used in the case of the G1 refusal. And just some further background to that. Mags actually concludes that the net there is net health and wellbeing impacts from this expansion because it puts two different things on the scales. On the one hand it puts the benefits of holidays and jobs, extra jobs and extra holidays for people largely who are not local from outside the area. People from London, 50% of Stansted's passengers come from London, 25% come from the South East apart from the East of England. There is there's only 20% from the East of England. Anyway, the, health, the benefits to holidays of these people is put on the plus side and jobs for people out of area is on the plus side and that outweighs the harms to the local population in terms of increased noise, pollution traffic and so on. And Utters for District Council officers asked them to do a quality of life assessment to try and assess what would happen, what local people would, would have to endure if this application was approved. They refused to do it. We've got no quality of life assessment, so we don't know. I'm now going to hand over to Bruce to go on to some road traffic impacts. While I get my vice back.
4: Thank you, thank you, Brian. Um, it's good to be here this evening to uh, to talk to you. Um, I'm going to concentrate on Junction 8 of the M11, although SSE's previous submissions have also considered the impact on local roads, particularly through Taitley and Stansted-Mount-Fitchett. Junction 8 is already congested at times, and this will worsen as time goes on, and opportunities to improve the junction are very limited. Page 4 of the Essex Highways response states that following Highways uh, England's review of the transport assessment, it was agreed that Essex Highways would commission sensitivity testing of Junction 8, hence the Jacobs report. This was referred to in the Essex Highways response, um, but was not publicly available until SSE um, queried its absence from the planning website and Uttlesford specifically requested Essex Highways to supply the report. It appeared on the website on the 18th of October. The report seeks to test the sensitivity of the junction to changes in the amount of new traffic at the junction and where it comes from. The work allows for planned highways improvements that is the conversion of the A120-A1250 roundabout west of Junction 8 to a signalised junction, and widening of the M11 offslips, and it also takes account of the additional mitigation uh, that is proposed um, that uh, involves the widening of the service area access, some further widening of the M11 southbound offslip, and some changes to lane markings. The Jacobs report does not scrutinise underlying assumptions, but reports on two sensitivity tests. The first, a 10% uplift in trip generation. No reason for applying the 10% figure is provided. As you might say, it is just plucked out of the air. The distribution sensitivity test is based on information in the transport assessment and is arguably, therefore, not even a sensitivity test. It takes 5% of airport traffic from the M11 and places it on the A120 West. These are the results of the sensitivity testing. These figures are taken directly out of the Jacobs report. The numbers in the table show average queue lengths per junction arm in the peak hours. The 35 million scenario assumes the introduction of the planned improvements, and the 43 million scenario assumes both the planned and the proposed uh, ad- additional improvements to the junction. The results show, first of all, that even without the development, the average queues and delays at the junction are very significant. You can see there in the AM peak, we have a queue length, average queue length uh, over all the arms of 347 metres, and in the PM peak, an average queue length of 369 metres, so that's an average of about a quarter of a mile of queuing uh, on each of the arms coming up to the junction. The results show that despite the proposed additional improvements at the junction, both sensitivity tests show significant worsening of junction performance. This is particularly the case in the PM peak, where you can see average queues increasing by between 20% and 25%. The Jacobs report does not show what would happen if both sensitivity assumptions were applied. It is, however, very clear that the level of adverse impact would be greatly increased. The officer's recommendation states that it is Junction 8's high sensitivity to modelling assumptions that gives rise to the need for mitigation measures. This is both incorrect and inconsistent with Essex Highways' response that does not state this. The need for mitigation measures arises as a result of the severe impact that the proposed development is expected to have on this junction. This is acknowledged by the applicant in paragraph 4.1 of the Transport Assessment Addendum. The sensitivity of the junction shows that the proposed junction improvements are very likely to fail to mitigate the impact of the proposed development. This critical distinction is not communicated in the recommendation and its conclusion is not, therefore based on a reasoned and balanced review of the evidence. The sensitivity testing shows that the additional improvements fail to mitigate the impact if either of the sensitivity assumptions is adopted. The question is, how likely is it That the mitigation will fail. A detailed review of assumptions is set out in SSC's previous submissions and I will not go through them in detail here. I will however outline some of the main points. Remember that it only takes a 10% uplift in uh, trip generation for the mitigation to fail. The applicant relies on an assumed 30% reduction in kiss and fly trips. This is highly optimistic probably unreasonably so, particularly given that there is no expectation of an increase in the public transport mode share. There is also the question of how to accommodate a very significant increase in airport parking. This is dealt with elsewhere in SSE's submissions. The relatively low level of trip generation during the AM peak period relies on the continuation of a trough in car movement during this hour itself a questionable representation of the current situation. The applicant states that increased passenger movement is achieved through a levelling off of movement through the day. In the AM peak hour, this levelling off is not apparent. The data show that Friday flows are 4% higher than the average. The summer peak extends from June to October, five months of the year, and is not restricted to the six-week school holiday period. Levels of activity in the summer are around 20% higher than the average. It has been assumed that staff car occupancy will be the same as passenger car occupancy at 1.6 persons per car. The level of car movement associated with staff will be around 50% higher than assumed if staff display travel behaviour typical of other commuters. Data presented by the applicant indicates that 59% of staff are likely to attend each day. In terms of staff vehicle movements, this represents an 18% increase above that adopted in the assessments. The prediction is that staff car movements in the peak periods will decrease by 1% despite a 14% increase in staff numbers to the 35 million situation and only increase by 22% in the 43 million situation when there is a 40% plus increase in staff numbers. The cumulative impact of the numerous sources of underestimation of car trip generation is very significant and far in excess of 10%. Modelling also fails to allow for the proposed changes in the service area access, and that will add an additional 100 or so goods vehicle movements using the A120-A1250 junction, and it fails to consider the effect of traffic backing up from the A1250, something that already occurs. Both the Uttlesford and Braintree local plans have reached advanced stages where development proposals are quantified and well known the local plan will generate significant traffic growth along the A120 and in the north of Uttlesford. Both categories will impact on junction 8. The proposed developments include 10,000 homes west of Braintree and at Eastern Park and 5,000 homes in North Uttlesford. 7,500 of these homes are expected by 2033. Essex Highways only raised queries regarding modal share, traffic distribution, background traffic growth, on the basis that these are labelled the main areas of concern by Jacobs in its review of the transport assessment. Essex Highways considers that proposals can be made acceptable through the requirement for three targets. The public transport target is not even a target since it reiterates the 2016 observed bus, coach and rail mode share, 50%. The kiss and fly target, as I've already said, appears wildly optimistic given the dearth of any convincing measures that might lead to a significant change in behaviour. There are very good reasons why a drop-off or pick-up is much more attractive than leaving a car at the airport penalties may fund some minor local highway works but they will not lead to any significant reduction in car trip generation. Highways England states, I quote, further improvements are necessary to address the potentially severe impacts on the strategic road network at M11 Junction 8. A mitigation scheme was therefore submitted by the applicant which in terms of capacity and safety should be adequate to address these impacts. It is clear from the work undertaken by Jacobs that the proposed mitigation mitigation scheme is not adequate to address the impacts. Junction 8 is highly sensitive to any underestimate of car trip generation and to very small variations in assumptions about trip distribution. The officer's recommendation is misleading because it suggests that mitigation is required because of the sensitivity of the junction to underlying assumptions when it is the predicted severe impact in the absence of sensitivity assumptions that necessitates mitigation. It is extremely likely that the residual cumulative impact on junction 8 and the surrounding network will be severe. Thank you.
2: Thank you Bruce, I am going to crack on now because we are running tight on time. Just as we had an expert look at the surface access road impacts, we had another expert equally well qualified looking at the impact on rail services and I will on this occasion just briefly read through the conclusion which becomes the reason for, the main reason for refusal. The proposed mitigation measures, which is a 12 car, 12 car um, trains, will not be sufficient to prevent severe congestion on the West Anglia Main Line at peak periods, to the detriment of the amenity of local residents and contrary to policies, blah, blah, blah. There is a risk that excessive crowding on the West Anglia Main Line rail services during the morning southbound peak and evening northbound, that's commuter peak times will give rise to increased use of less sustainable modes of transport. In other words, that commuters from this area going to London just get to the stage where they don't want to have to stand all the way on a train to Tottenham Hill or perhaps beyond and revert to using the private cars. It is clear in any event that the application does not promote sustainable modes of transport. The 52% share quoted yesterday is due to decline to 50% public transport mode share. And on on the train our analysis shows that loadings between Harlow and Tottenham Hale which is the peak usage of the West Anglia main line shows that trains are already full at peak. When you get to 35 million plus housing that's planned, even with 12 car trains, there just is not sufficient capacity to cope. And that's despite the fact that the, 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 the capacity of these trains has been wrongly calculated. This, has, this point has never been answered for us but there is an assumed capacity, 65% of the seating capacity of these new trains and that is simply not achievable. That is not achievable and it is contrary to the Department of Transport's own guidelines Pixie guidelines are called, which is passengers in excess of capacity, you are only permitted to stand for 20 minutes. It takes a lot longer than that to get from Bishop Stortford to Tottenham Hill. Um, economic effects, touched on this earlier but there is no clear evidence that there will be economic benefits sufficient to outweigh the harms. The 1300 jobs that we provided are not the type of jobs that are required in this area. All that happens is that you get 1300 more people commuting into the area or near enough and the the local population, local residents need to commute out of the area. Either that or you get Bigger pressure on social housing in Uttersford district, and that's already a major issue. So it's contrary to the principles of sustainable development in the NPPF, the National Planning and Policy Framework. I've gone through this already, but I just wanted to to uh, touch on it, just to remind people that the economic economic arguments are a reason for refusal. Essentially it is negative impacts rather than in most cases you would accept positive impacts. The final reason for refusal which again consistent with the national policy national planning policy framework and the the local plan is the carbon emissions issue. (coughs) Overall I'm not going to really go into the, the detail of this, but there's 37.5 million tonnes, is the planning assumption, for UK aviation by 2050. It's the same as the emissions were in 2005. That's the Department for Transport's planning assumption, and that includes an allocation, a planning assumption for Stansted of 1.37 million in 2028, rising to 1.64 in 2050. The proposals here using MAG's own figures would go way above that, way above that. Officers say that it is not material, we beg to differ and in fact we would say that this local authority doesn't, isn't empowered to make a decision on carbon emissions which would clearly be way, uh, way higher than the governments allowed for at Stansted. If I try and just explain this table to you. The Department of Transport's planning assumption for 2023 is 1.45 million tonnes at Stansted. Mike's projection is 2.3, almost a million tonnes higher. For 2028, 1.37, Mike says 2.5, again almost a million tonnes higher. All the intervening years, it's higher. 2050, which is a key year, it's higher. Not quite so much higher, but still 34% higher. Over the period, from 2023 till 2050, Stansted's carbon emissions, if this was approved, would be 67.8 million tonnes. The Department for Transport's allowed 38.9 million tonnes. What's the difference? 28.9 million tonnes extra. That's not allowed for in the Department for Transport's forecasts. Officers say that is not material. We say that is material and bear in mind that carbon dioxide is the principal cause of climate change and it stays in the atmosphere for between 50 and 200 years. That is material. A little footnote on this is that the Secretary of State refused a planning application in March this year for an open-cast coal mine, a different type of project, but he refused it because it would have an adverse effect on greenhouse gas emissions. It was going to contribute 7 million tonnes in its lifetime. This is 67.8 million tonnes. It's way higher. And a local planning authority, has a big responsibility to take that on board. Conclusions. When we'd finished our work, we came to the conclusion, the clear conclusion, unanimous conclusion amongst the team, that MAG submitted this application in the confident expectation it was going to be approved locally with minimum fuss, minimum delay, minimum scrutiny. Our 250 pages of evidence identifies multiple errors, omissions, misrepresentations. Sadly I have to say some of these are repeated in the officer's report. We conclude that the proposal to lift this cap is contrary to the development plan, including taking account of material considerations and the applicants even fail to demonstrate the need for development. I have gone through quickly seven reasons for refusal. And okay, we've argued all along that this is a nationally significant infrastructure project, it shouldn't be dealt with here, it should be dealt with by central government and properly scrutinised in detail by an expert team, process that would take 18 months. <coughs> Regardless of that, that doesn't mean to say that we don't have confidence in UDC planning committee in terms of their ability, exercising their quasi-judicial role, to look at the facts thoroughly and fairly and if they do that we are confident that this application will be refused. Thank you. And when I send this out later this evening by the way I will include this brief adx, I am not going to go through it but it will show the process we went through and it will also show the qualifications of the 12 or 13 people on the SSE team who arrived at these conclusions you should get that overnight, thank you thank you chairman sorry we went slightly over Uh,
0: thank you Mr Ross Um, with that we'll move on to the public speaking part of the meeting each speaker has three minutes as such don't be put off by the clock on the wall too much is that something for me? Okay. And uh, I think we can start with Mr. Andrew Branbridge. Andrew, if you just hang on while the technology catches up with you. No, please take a seat.
5: I haven't got any technology. You had it just then. Andrew, when you're ready. Okay, thank you. Uh, My name is Andrew Bramich. I work for Harlow Council, and I'm the Project Director of the Harlow Enterprise Zone. I'm speaking here on behalf of the Board of the Enterprise Zone, which is a business-led organisation, but also comprises a wide range of representatives from both the public and private sectors in the Harlow area. Its purpose is to promote and oversee the development of the Enterprise Zone, um, as well as wider economic development activities in Harlow. The Board would wish to express its support for the planning applications submitted by Stansted Airport to increase its cap on passenger numbers to 43 million per annum. The Harlow Enterprise Zone comprises more than 70 acres of new development focused on the life sciences, information and communications technology and a range of other high technology activities across two main sites Keo Park and the new Harlow Science Park. Keo Park is already home to some major multinational businesses with Raytheon, Arrow Electronics and Pearson all based there. Together they are employing more than 1,100 people on the site which has space for future expansion. Also one of the largest data centre developments in the southeast of England is now underway there with the first building completed in February of this year and another quarter of a million square feet of space to be built in the next few years. Construction work has started this year on the first buildings at the Harlow Science Park with more work scheduled to commence in early 2019. Over the next five to ten years with around 650,000 square feet of space to be developed providing an additional 2,500 jobs. This is a critical part of Harlow's growth story which also sees Public Health England relocating its headquarters and National Science hub Facility to Harlow from 2021 building up to 3,000 jobs by 2024. All this is supported by the Harlow and Gilston Garden Town development, which is forecast to deliver an additional 16,000 homes by 2033. The continued growth and success of Stansted Airport is important to support this economic and housing growth. The board of the Enterprise Zone has resolved that it is is supportive of the growth of the airport and sees it as an important piece of infrastructure that will support the economic growth of the wider area. In this regard, we support the raising of the passenger cap. The expansion of the airport will enable a wider range of carriers, more long-haul flights and an increase in freight operations, all of which are important to business growth in the region. The presence of a truly global airport with significant capacity will enable more international companies to locate in the region, creating wealth and jobs. This potential is a significant factor in the marketing and promotion of the Harlow Science Park in particular. I have personally spoken to several companies interested in locating in this area who have said that their primary motivation in choosing our location is its proximity to Stansted Airport. I have also spoken recently with an international consortium of investors who are interested in the long-term potential of this region for infrastructure, housing and business investment. We firmly believe that the continued growth of the airport will be a very significant factor in our ability to attract more international businesses to this region. The wider London Stansted-Cambridge corridor in which both Harlow and Stansted lie at the centre is one of the fastest growing regions of the UK. It has higher productivity, population and employment growth in other parts of the country and last year's Growth Commission report identified an ambition to become one of the top five global knowledge economy regions within the next 20 years. The continued growth of the airport into the long term will be an important factor in helping to realise this vision and the investment that will come with it. It is important that longer-term certainty is created through this planning application which will in turn help us to attract the types of businesses to this region that will spur economic growth. In conclusion, we fully support the planning application as a key enabler of long-lasting economic growth in the region. Thank you.
0: Uh, thank you, Mr Bramage. Uh, Mr John Devotee? I hope I pronounced that right.
6: May I take this opportunity to thank the council for me to talk to you at this assembly. I'd like to thank all councillors for the dedicated work that they do on behalf of our community. I've been a past mayor, district council and town council and I know how much time and effort you put into your job. From your dedication, you know that this is a premature application. You have seen government figures that the capacity of this airport will not be reached until 2033. There is a great concern that this applicant appears to be rushed through and the disquiet about the council accepting financial contributions from MAC. I know the magnitude of this application on a small planning department and the stress it must have on our hard-working officers. I think you will agree that the ramifications of this Vast planning applications are far outside the remit of this council. Therefore, I would implore this committee and council to call this in to the Secretary of State for his, to call this application in, because there are many issues that this application raises that cannot be dealt with by a local authority. Government of all colours have reasons not to call in this application. It is because they would be saddled with the cost of providing the infrastructure they would prefer you to go cap in hand to them and raise local taxes to provide this infrastructure. Now I come to Mac, the contribution from the infrastructure that this airport enjoys. Policy S4 stands at airport boundary. This gives a de facto monopoly to Mac. All car parking, setting down. All vehicles, buses, taxi concessions, hotels, etc. are all within the boundary. So they are there wanting this application to go through because it magnifies their profits. 106 agreements do not go far enough for the infrastructure to be paid for. We are allowing too much of the profits to be squirreled away and placing extra costs on the local taxpayer. Everyone knows this council never plans, everyone knows this country never plans for the future. We're, where vast planning applications are concerned. History shows it's always trying to resolve problems of infrastructure after the event. There is an opportunity here to change the situation, by demanding that stow make pays a larger proportion of the cost of accessing the airport, i.e., rail, buses and road, and I believe that only a government can induce these greater contributions. STALMAG have made promises before and I believe they have tried to avoid their obligations. They have made statements that new aircraft will alleviate the problems of pollution and noise. However, have you noticed, how the old freight aircraft they're using, are they going to stop those aircraft or are they going to encourage more? Mr Chairman, thank you for your time and I implore this council to live up to your courage and ask for this application to be called in. I thank you for hearing me out. Thank you.
0: Uh, thank you Mr Devotee. Uh, Mr Roger Clark.
7: Uh, my name is uh, Roger Clark and I am Chairman of a Parish Council. As you know, Broxted is a small village to the north of the airport, which means that every aircraft visiting it flies over the village, either when arriving or departing. And there is very little you can teach my parishioners about aircraft noise, and it is noise that I wish to speak about. In particular, I wish to nail the big lie that aircraft are getting quieter, because it is just not true. The problem with a big lie is that if it's repeated often enough and authoritatively enough, people begin to assume that it must be true. Whilst modern turbofan engines have reduced their noisy emissions compared with the early jets of the 1970s, these continuous improvements are now becoming smaller and smaller for the latest engines in terms of the actual reduction of noise intensity. Claims that new aircraft are expected to be 50% quieter refer to calculated pressure levels, that's noise energy, whereas what the human ear hears is loudness, which is noise intensity, and the two are very different. A 50% reduction in pressure level, that's the noise energy, is 3 decibels, which is almost imperceptible by the human ear. And do remember that noise energy is measured at the manufacturing stage in the factory under laboratory conditions. It is not what people hear when the aircraft are in operation. Just think diesel engine emission tests or the miles per gallon you are led to expect from your new car. And if it were true that aircraft were getting even a little bit quieter the sheer increase in numbers would negate any such benefits. Furthermore, if the airport were ever to achieve its aspiration to attract long-haul flights, it would inevitably involve the use of larger, noisier aircraft. But it has achieved an increase in cargo flights, which often occur at night, and these are almost always larger, older and noisier aircraft. To say that this huge increase in the number of flights, 44%, remember, will make little or no difference to the noise that people under flight paths will suffer, is disingenuous and an insult to the intelligence of ordinary people. Given that Historic England recommended that the opinion of your Council's Conservation Officer was sought, I cannot see from the website that it has been, which is very odd given the large number of listed buildings affected by aircraft noise such as Broxton Church which is overflowing repeatedly at a height of just a few hundred feet interrupting our services there. Can I ask that whatever else you do in the seven days remaining before you reach a decision on its application that you revisit the evidence you have been presented with about noise because it is the most important thing. Thank you.
0: Uh, thank you Mr. Clark. Uh, Rachel Melody.
8: Good evening. Uh, thank you for giving me your time and the opportunity to talk today about the future of Stansted Airport and my support for its growth. If you've not already guessed, I'm not a local. Um, I do, however, live in Bishop-Stortford, a town that I feel fortunate to be part of. I recently moved to the area to take on a new role at the airport where I manage a team of over 60 ambassadors, all young, who serve our customers every day. Most, if not all, live in the local area and have done so most of their lives, a privilege that I now share with them. This is my fourth role and second move, working as part of the Manchester Airports Group. I initially began my journey at Manchester Airport living and working in that community for nearly five years before I decided to change. I had five years aviation experience and I had options, but for me Stansted was the obvious choice. It has been one of the best experiences that I have had to date. Stansted is special, although vast in size and activity, it remains homely, authentic and welcoming. When I first started working here, almost everyone I met took pride in telling me how many years they had been part of the team and how that environment had been addictive, becoming part of their lives. I can't tell you how many people I meet who have either have a father, sister, brother, husband or wife that have worked at the airport at some point in their life. And to me, that demonstrates a legacy. Um, of a community that has been born out of a simple terminal and runway. There are many places to work when we can share fantastic aerozone facilities with our local schools or encourage, or encourage others to join the apprentice or graduate schemes available on their doorstep. Both initiatives that I personally manage in my department and have seen firsthand the value that that brings to young people's life I have two graduates and 12 apprentices um, that attend the facilities at Harlow College. And I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to work in that unique environment. To think that, that, will be able, that we will be able to share that with further um, many colleagues in the future is important. I travel regularly, in Bishop Stortford is so not my permanent home, um, and whether I'm going back to Manchester or Scotland, um, I'm in a different place every week. Um, It's made easy for me and I have simple connectivity from the airport um, across the country and I can literally finish work and be home in less than three hours, whether by plane or by train. My friends ask if that's tiring, travelling to and from Essex all the time, but it's actually very easy. I'm often asked my why for working at Stansted, and I can answer it with one word and that's opportunity. Opportunity is in abundance for young people. Um, creating a career, academic, innovation, and most importantly, travelling the world opportunities. Connecting Essex to more European destinations than any other UK or European airport, and opening doors to Dubai and beyond. Offering GCSEs and on-site apprenticeships to our neighbours, being the largest employer in the east of England, and it's an insatiably exciting time to be part of the brand. Um, I've mentioned before, I choose to live away from friends, families, husbands, loved ones. I've not even celebrated my one year anniversary um, with my husband and 70% of that time I've spent away at Stansted, which some may say is not easy, but it is worth it. And uh, I love my job. I work. uh, I love where I work. And I am not I'm, I'm one of many who make personal sacrifices to be part of the team. Um, I personally have had many life-changing opportunities uh, working for MAG. I'm proud to work for Stansted and I'd like to thank that continuing to grow um, only means that more young individuals like myself can benefit from this community, something that I believe outweighs the challenges presented. I'd like to close by thanking you for the opportunity to share with you why this is important to me.
0: Uh, thank you, Rachel. Um, Veronica Crosson. <coughs> No? Okay. Uh, Catherine Dean.
1: Chairman, members of the planning committee, my name is Catherine Dean and I'm a resident of Stansted, Mount Fitchard. With one exception, every parish council and town council that has responded to the consultation has objected to the application. Their reasons, among others, are aircraft noise, traffic on local roads, air quality. They are talking about the situation now when the airport is 8 million passengers away from its present permission and 16 million away from the proposed 43 million passengers per annum. There will undoubtedly be more noise, more traffic on local roads and a worsening of air quality. To say, as the environmental statement does, that there will be negligible impacts from this application is just not credible. Stansted Mark Fitchert suffers from traffic congestion, fly parking And air quality measurements from monitors in the village show that pollution is reaching a critical level. There are four schools in Stansted, two of which are close to the airport perimeter. The proposed fund of £800,000 for local road improvements will surely be inadequate. It is very difficult to see what measures can be taken in Stansted to accommodate more traffic on our existing roads. A bypass would alone cost more than the proposed fund. How will fly parking be prevented? It has been a problem for many years and no solution has been offered, perhaps because there isn't one. And I see nothing in the conditions that suggest remedies for poor air quality. Monitoring is fine, but what is the solution? Now, I do acknowledge that all these negative effects, not all these negative effects can be attributed to the airport. The many new houses built in uttlesford in recent years have, of course, contributed. The District Council has to make provision for 15,000-plus houses in the next 15 years with the consequence of more vehicles on the roads and more pollution but the report does not seem to take this into account. These houses have been decreed by the government, so they have to be built. If this application is approved, then added to the negative consequences of the construction of 15,000 plus houses will be more congestion, more fly parking and more air pollution from the airport. This is not a negligible application. It's a significant application and will have significant adverse consequences. You have the difficult job of weighing those adverse environmental impacts I have briefly outlined against the benefits which the applicant claims for the proposed development. If you believe, as I do, that the balance between the interests of the local community and those of the aviation industry would be compromised if this development proceeds, then you should vote to refuse the application next week. Thank you. Uh,
0: Thank you, Catherine. Uh, Mr Mark Johnson...
9: Um, Thank you for the opportunity to speak today, and I'm really grateful that you've uh, organised these additional sessions and and given your time to listen to representations. Um, The application the committee will consider next week is, in my view, one of the most important that the committee will have to make a decision on, and as you'll no doubt be aware, no other application is likely to have the potential to affect so many people's lives, not just in this district, but over a much wider area, or indeed uh, the impact on the environment. As such, this application needs extensive scrutiny, and I think the timeframe so far is not allowed for that. And like others, I don't understand the rush. There are so many uncertainties currently that, in my view, it's not possible to approve the application at this time. In my time available, I wanted to focus on surface access issues raised by the application, particularly in relation to rail services. Briefly, and I'm not an expert, but I think some of the assumptions clearly need further testing and the council should commission their own independent advice on the transport assessment rather than relying on information from the applicant, which lacks transparency and doesn't seem realistic. This isn't intended to be a criticism of individual officers at the council. I've worked in local government uh, my whole career and I know the pressures councils are under, but we need to take time with such a large application and commission independent expert advice where necessary, as the council has for the environmental statement. Specifically, members should question whether the stress test scenario asked for by uh, Network Rail is really a stress test. You heard from Greater Anger earlier they, they already have a 31% modal share for travel to the airport. Is increasing that to 35% really a, a stress test? By way of example, according to official figures, there was a 27% increase in entries and exits at the um, airport station from just over 6 million to 7.6 million uh, in one year between 2015 16 and 16-17. And under the 35% scenario, there will already be four trains, i.e. potentially a whole hour's worth of trains every evening where passengers to the airport are forced to stand. And the effect will be, I think, to push more cars onto the road, private hire as well as individuals, and also cause delays to boarding, especially at Tottenham Hale. Uh, Commuters will already see this every evening when people can't get into trains and move down. It leads to knock-on delays for for trains behind. As you'll know, the line at peak hours uh, is already at capacity and and delays every single week. For example, this afternoon people couldn't get to the airport and were missing their flights because of power problems on the line. They're having an impact on quality of life for Uttersford uh, residents who travel to London. And there are also clear statutory uh, equality implications. Crowded trains might mean elderly people, disabled people, those who are pregnant could, could be forced to stand for, for some period of time. Uh, if members are minded to approve the application, I think we need a much better package of community benefits. If you look at the rail services, there are trains going through Newport, uh, uh, you know, two or three trains an hour that are going to the airport don't stop there. The the community fund uh, needs to be given, uh, schools need to be given access to that. I'm a governor at local schools. We don't have the funding uh, to, to do basic facilities like refurbished toilets, but schools aren't eligible to apply currently. Nobody's calling for Stancid to be closed down. We've still got a lot of growth uh, and all the potential economic benefits of that associated with the existing headroom and the current planning arrangements. Let's just take a pause, step back, and make the right decision for the longer term. We owe it to future generations. And I'm confident that based on an objective consideration of the evidence and listening to views of local people, uh, members will reject the current application. Thank you.
0: Um, thank you, Mr Johnson. Uh, Councillor Foley, I don't see him, actually. No, OK. He's not here.
10: I'm
0: going to push on through. Okay. No. OK. I've got a Mr. Luke uh, Ganyam. I hope I've pronounced that right. Close. <coughs>
11: Ladies, gentlemen, uh, Council, uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak here tonight at the hearing. Um, as pronounced, uh, my name is Luke Gainham and I'm speaking in support of the planning application at Stansted Airport for the first 43 million planning application. I've been working at Stansted for uh, circa two years and four years with MAG Group. I work within the engineering services team looking after capital upgrades of existing airfield infrastructure. The Stansted Transformation Programme is extremely important to the region and this is demonstrated through multiple assets and comments that have been passed through the hearing already. To be part of a true transformation programme is extremely exciting and a great opportunity for my personal development and the successful delivery of such a programme. This would ultimately safeguard potentially my future, my family's future. I spent the last six years working in aviation industry However, as I say, this is the first time I've had the opportunity to work on such a programme of this scale. The Transfer Programme will provide a future workbook and will allow me to continue to progress at Stansted and in the aviation industry, which I feel very passionate about. The work to be completed are innovative and will be a personal challenge. My role at Stansted involves managing a small team of six people within the larger programme team of engineering services. As part of the team, we've recently recruited a young graduate project manager. The graduate will be an integral part of the team and will have a fantastic opportunity to develop within the wider Stansted Transformation programme. We hope it's successful to expand our team over the coming months and focus on graduate recruitment and development. The growth of the airport offers not only opportunities to the obvious, but large proportions of the rigid, regional supply chain, in my opinion, and the opportunities exist now and in the future. The local economy will benefit, these, will benefit. There are not just short term spikes for the duration of the programme, the increased infrastructure brings greater opportunity for numerous parties for the foreseeable future, whether this be through direct employment or greater travel benefits. The last 20 months have seen me engage and support the local community we have been living in and around the surrounding, the surrounding area, supporting local businesses from B&Bs, restaurants, shops and pubs. Each village with its own sense of community and identity, offering a really fresh perspective to someone who grew up in the city. Finally, the expansion and the outward looking message given by not only the transformation programme but by the airport. Safeguards the future for generations. We have an on-site further education facility, a world class employer on their doorstep and easy access to the global market. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you Mr Gaiman. Um, the criteria is okay, I'm going to push
0: on. Uh, Jonathan Axford. Mr Axford, no? Uh, Francesca Hughes? No, okay. Uh, Heather MacDonald? No, okay. Ray Beverly?
12: Right. As I was told, there were no speaking slots for earlier. This left me without any notes, so it's from the heart. Um, Listen to everybody here, the people that have supported the airport. They seem to think we're after them and their jobs to stop them working. In fact, we're not. We accept the airport. We know it's got to be there. But... My father taught me something about growing up and what you should do, the right thing to do, and it was not tell lies. What I see here continuously is lies. Lies, lies, and more lies. Um, And what Brian Ross has taught us is the truth. The truth is very important. Um, We know that figures can mean anything. I mean, Carillion proved that. Um, and I'm not going to go into details that I've lived here since I've had pimples and a blow wave because that would be a lie too I still get pimples but at the end of the day the truth has to be said um, on a recent visit by airport um, people from the airport and the people representing us we had 12 um, Ryanair jets go over continuously in about 25 minutes they were walking to um, our neighbour's house And I pointed up and said, do you see that? And he said, yes. No, coming from the wings. He said, yes, yes, what's that? I said, well, what do you think? He said, well, is it vapour? I said, not at 945 feet. They could be cleaning out the toilets, of course, but I don't think so. Now, both my neighbour and I, we live in a place which is a historic monument. I don't know if you councillors know this, but it's called Walbury Dells, and it's an Iron Age fort, and it's listed of national importance by the Secretary of State. And it's also protected from environmental issues. Now, we get fuel over the houses. I can tell you now, and it's just thrown in for the mix, but my neighbour and I have both suffered cancer in the last two years. That's really nothing, but we have. Um, He's undergoing further chemotherapy. Not in my family. So, at the end of the day, the denial of it, they don't eject fuel, is crap. I've been online, checked where the... At the particular aircraft that are on air use, eject their fuel. Um, we know they're doing it on bad days when they've got to land at the correct weight. So, um, yes, we're not threatening the people that work in the airport. And they would say, the words I've heard are wonderful, fantastic, excellent. Well, to quote Mandy Rice-Davies from 64, if any of you are old enough, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? But at the end of the day, think about the original people that lived here, not about the new community, they're not the new, we've lived here 40 years plus, so we're just old gits I know, but you know what, what I bought 40 years ago was my investment for my grandchildren, and with what we've learned from certain offers which are absolutely disgusting considering they're talking about paying millions in share um, issues, I wrote an article in the local paper called The Nature of the Beast. So what is the true nature of this beast? I rest my case. Thank you, sirs.
0: Thank you, Mr. Beverley. Um, Andy Scott?
10: Yeah, thanks very much for the, uh, the opportunity to uh, present and speak to you tonight. Um, my name is Andy Scott and I'm speaking in support of the planning application. Uh, I lead the Turner and Soundzone team that support MAG and the delivery of the new infrastructure at the airport. We have over 35 uh, members of staff working at the airport providing cost, commercial, and project management advice. Our team are supporting the current £600 million investment which provides infrastructure to support the growing passenger demands at the airport. Specifically, this includes a dedicated departures terminal which will improve the passenger experience. There will be new check-in desks, a new baggage system, additional security screening areas, a large seating area and enhanced retail experience for passengers. There will be a new dedicated arrivals terminal which will open in 2020, additional aircraft stands and additional car parking facilities. This investment will provide a significant improved customer experience for the passengers at the airport. And I think that's important. And many of our team are from Hertfordshire and Essex and are reliant on this investment programme to develop their future careers. The planning application to forty three million passengers per annum is urgently required. As by the end of the year there'll be twenty eight million passengers using the airport and with the anticipated growth levels the 35 million pound cap will be breached within the next five to six years and as an organization our aim is to support projects and programs that enable economic growth and promote social mobility and community benefit and I believe that the increase in this capacity will will benefit the region and its prosperity the economic social and community benefits of the scheme have been well developed when Stansted prospers the region prospers and this will include almost doubling the economic benefit for the region and this is underpinned in, in, in many ways by the airport's cargo operation which is the third largest in the UK helping British businesses trade with global marketplaces increased capacity will provide continued assurance and clarity to the local communities on the growth and how it will be managed a clear plan for the future which will give the airlines a chance to, to plan confidently for the future It will provide up to 1,500 new on-airport jobs uh, which will be created and this this will provide an opportunity to upskill the workforce for the future. The increased capacity will deliver an additional 1 million tourists to the UK, acting as a catalyst for economic prosperity. A community package including improved sound insulation and continued investment in skills and education will be provided. The development will make the East of England one of the best places in the world to live, work and do business. And I'd like to support the the planning application on that basis. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Mr Scott. Um, I have one more speaker, I think. Mr Simon Harris? Sorry, Mr Havers. They've written Harris on my piece of paper. Good evening
13: committee members, Um, I'll be brief and to the point. My name is Simon Havers, I've been an Uttlesford resident for 21 years since I moved to Great Hallingbury, very near the airport. Um, I uh, arrived uh, suffering slightly from asthma, needing only one asthma drug, I now need five. I can't help but think uh, considerably caused by the air pollution that our area suffers. Uh, I work in London for the first 18 years. I commuted by train three years ago. I got a refund on my season ticket, fed up with the infections I was getting from being crushed up against other people in the Stan Ramoni carriages, fed up with arguments with stansted bound people who had gone on at Liverpool Street when I was getting on at Tottenham Hale and who have covered all the seats with their, with their suitcases. And I did something really selfish. Um ashamed to say I went and bought a car and now I commute to London by car. Um, And uh, I'm sorry, everybody. I know that's not good for the planet, but it's what I feel I've been forced to do. You're well aware that you're elected by the 80,000 residents of Uttlesford to represent our interests. I don't see any reason at all for you to approve something which is overwhelmingly detrimental to the interests of the people who you're elected to represent. The damage to them from the air pollution... The noise, the road congestion, the the train congestion, the environmental damage. It's it's all massive, massively negative. The benefits to constituents will be utterly minimal. As Brian pointed out earlier, we've got half percent unemployment here. The rate of unemployment is so low that these low-grade jobs created at the airport are going to do nothing to change that, that rate. Of course, the expansion is going to benefit MAG. And expansion will benefit the, the vast majority of passengers who use the airport who do not come from our area, and you're not elected to represent them. So please let someone else look after their interest, not your job. The only possible benefit I see is the M11 Junction 8 improvement. Does the subsidy for Section 106 for the, some roadworks really justify going against the interests? of the the people who are speaking here tonight, the will of your community, and the fact we've got a smattering of MAG employees here blathering on about some um, corporate nonsense to enhance their own careers, I hope you give that as much contempt as I do. I'm an active businessman, I'm an investor, I'm originally trained as an engineer, so I'm pragmatic, and I appreciate that Your rejection of this proposal may well lead to an appeal. No problem. Let them do their worst. I'm sure your local taxpayers will be happy to see some of their council tax go towards paying any appeal costs that might be needed. Councillors are responsible to the electorate. Officers merely advise and it's you, our councillors, who have to make the call. That's where the buck must stop. I was reading recently the publication from the Nolan Committee, which reports directly to the Prime Minister and which has taken it upon itself to comment on this particular issue. And it says this, It should be firmly stated there is nothing wrong if planning committees do not follow the advice of officers. Planning officers exist to advise committees which are entitled to reach their own decisions by attaching different weight to the various planning criteria. They go further, and I quote, In our view, if planning decisions by local authorities were to be regarded as as legal decisions, there would be no point in involving councillors in such decisions at all. They might as well just be taken by the planning officers. In other words, they're saying, elected members, the only reason you have a committee is so that you can sometimes reject the advice of the officers. So, please don't pass the buck, step up to the plate, and reject this application. It's worth the fight.
10: Thank you. Uh,
0: Thank you, Mr Havers. Uh, We have no more speakers registered for this evening. Uh, so I will call a close to the event. Thank you very much for attending, everybody. I hope it's been of interest. Thank you. Have a good evening.